What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three Academy snobs with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. This is a big episode, a big day for our podcast. We started in June, and here we are. We've made it to the end of the year. And of course, we had to think of a great way to basically close out 2020. It's been a weird fucking year. So you're like, you know what? Regardless of what came out, what we talked about, we're going to put together an award show. It's the Arn Academy Awards. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to do this. This was a lot of fun to put together. Keith, let me bring you in as well. How are you doing? And are you excited for this? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see who's going to win these awards. I think we have some good awards coming up too. Um, I think they're pretty creative. I think the candidates are pretty, pretty valid. And yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, it's the end of the year, guys. So I'm excited for next year and excited to see what it will bring. Yeah, and this is, of course, a very special year-end bonus episode. Keith, since you loved our main episode this week so much, why don't you tell everybody what we put out for the main episode this week? Yeah, we put out a uh, review for Wonder Woman 84. I think it's dog shit. <laughs> I think it's the worst DC movie ever made. <laughs> I saw this on HBO Max the first time. And then I went to go waste three more hours of my life in going to see a private viewing in the theater. So I'm uh, pretty upset that I wasted five hours on that movie. But go see it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty good. So I'd recommend it. Uh, <laughs> the episode's fun regardless. So go check that out too. If you're still trying to come to terms on your thoughts of Wonder Woman 84, certainly worth a listen. All right. Well, to hear Keith's full thoughts and his disdain for the movie, be sure to go scroll back on your podcast feed and check out episode 31. Wonder Woman 1984 review. And today, it's the year-end special of the Arnie's. We've had a blast putting together the show this year, and we figured we might as well cap off 2020 with our very own Arn Academy Awards. We've got 12 awards to hand out today, and 24 nominees lined up to potentially receive said awards. Matt, any thoughts before we get to the ceremony? So the way we decided to do this is there's 12 awards, like Austin mentioned. Each of us came up with four, two a bit more comedic, two a bit more serious. And then the other two members of the podcast would essentially come up with their own nominee. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to talk about the award itself. The person that nominated whatever they nominated will read about that, talk about it a little bit. And then we're going to open up the discussion. All of us will discuss which nominees, like the pros and cons of either of them. And then the person that came up with said category will award the sole vote to the nominee they think should win, and they will get their award in the mail in like five to six business days. So it's going to be great. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm excited to get into it. And yeah, this is a very prestigious episode of the Arnie's. Guys, thank you for dressing up tonight. I like the black tie attire. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the ceremony. All right, welcome to the first annual Arn Academy Awards. Let's kick off the evening with the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year. This was, of course, first given to Mark Hamill after improving so much between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. Today, we are giving this to someone who has improved in an actor this year or just raised their game to a point where we can't wait to see what they do next. And the nominees are Kristen Milioti. And Ben Affleck, after years of sleep acting. For Kristen Milioti, first saw her in How I Met Your Mother. Um, didn't really enjoy her performance all that much. But whenever Palm Springs came out, I really enjoyed it. 
I thought she really showed off her acting skills. Her and Andy Samberg had a really cool chemistry, along with the other castmates like J.K. Simmons and everybody else. I thought she did a great job, so I think she deserves Z. Mark Hamill's Most Improved Award. Fair points, fair points. Well, I, of course, nominated Mr. Benjamin Affleck. He's most improved, and yeah, he's been acting for a really long time. He's directed some stuff. He's won He's won some actual Oscars, actually. So you're probably wondering, why the hell is he on here for most improved actor? Well, it's because nobody goes up and down in terms of caring about acting quite like Mr. Ben Affleck, in my opinion. He was doing some good work in the late 90s with Goodwill Hunting. He took a fucking dive bomb, just like those kamikazes in the film Pearl Harbor he was in. And uh, he did Daredevil. He did Geely. Wow. What a shit show. And then what does he do? He's like, you know what? I'm going to start directing. And then he starts doing projects like Argo that he puts himself in, the town. Wow. He's back on his game. But then he gets cast as Batman and things all seem like, wow, Ben Affleck is really here to stay. But after one performance as Batman, he was like, I think I'm done. But he was still in two more movies as Batman. And he was terrible. He looked like he was asleep. <laughs> he was in Triple Frontier, which was an okay movie, but he was absolutely garbage in it. He he actually looked asleep through most of it. And all I'm saying is, guys, this year, Ben Affleck, you know, God bless him. He got his life back together. And he came back with a movie that came out at the beginning of this year that I saw right when coronavirus started, called The Way Back. And in this movie, he is the lead. He's not directing this time. He's just acting. And he plays an alcoholic who kind of is trying to get their life back together after a family tragedy. And essentially, you know, he kind of comes across a youth basketball team that he ends up coaching. And he just turned out a fantastic performance. I think Ben Affleck might be back. So that is my nominee. I think he might deserve the Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year Award. Guys, I think it's important to keep in mind the spirit of this award. Mark Hamill was dog shit in A New Hope. He comes back and boom, he's almost an Academy Award winning actor in The Empire Strikes Back. Wow. And with that being said, the honorary 2020 Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year is Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. You got to remember how terrible he is in Justice League. (laughs) And then the comeback. Kristen Milioti's never been a bad actress. She might have been underwhelming, but to come back the way he did after Justice League and just knock it out of the park with the way back, I mean, it's his, it's his way back to acting. That's oh my what it gosh. Is. It's Ben Affleck. Oh, whoa. Nice. That's what he was nice. thinking whenever he got the script. He, he like held it up. Oh, this is my way back to acting. <laughs> and now, I mean, now there's even reports that he wants to be Batman again. Oh my so gosh. So this movie, I mean, it brought him all the way back around, full circle. He's back to comic book movies. He's happy about Batman again. Man. What a year for Ben Affleck. You're so right. I'm so glad he got this award. We love Kristen Milioti, but does anybody personify improvement quite like Ben Affleck? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) We love you, Ben. We love you. We love you, pal. Please make a good Batman movie. He won't. He won't be Batman again. All right. What's next? (laughs) The next award of the evening is the most damaged by Star Wars person of the year. This award was first given to a young host named Keith Baker during our Overlooked Movies episode. Keith was talking about the gray and how much he liked Liam Neeson. And as a joke, a dumb, dumb joke, Matt asked Keith if he preferred Liam Neeson's character in the gray 
or Qui-Gon Jinn, and Keith couldn't make up his mind. This is true. I I went back to listen to this for the context. And then, to make matters even worse, he couldn't decide if The Grey was indeed a better movie than The Phantom Menace. I guess, Keith, I guess Star Wars damaged him even more than we thought. But today, we are branching out and looking out at the grander scale of who has truly been the most damaged by Star Wars. And the nominees are... John Boyega's precious, precious ego. And Austin Terry. So here's what I'll say. I'm just going to keep it short and sweet before we do our discussion on this, because I, I, need, I need your guys' thoughts here. But look, John Boyega as Finn, we love him. He did a great job. Great performance. No doubt about that. And he's just a great actor. We appreciate all the reasons that he's gone on about that he basically hates The Last Jedi and I guess The Rise of Skywalker too. But the main thing I'm focusing on here is he can't get over the fact that he thought he was going to be the main character of this trilogy, and he just won't stop bitching about the fact that after the first movie, he kind of wasn't. So John Boyega's precious ego, in my opinion, has been pretty damn damaged by Star Wars, and so he's my nominee tonight. Well, yeah, my nominee is Mr. Austin Terry. Mm -hmm. As our listeners know, and future listeners, if you don't know, we have reviewed all nine of the Star Wars movies and also the two spin-off movies, Rogue One and Solo. I think Austin is pretty tired of Star Wars. <laughs> I don't think he's tired of The Mandalorian, mm. but I think from the main movies, this guy's pretty tired. He's tired of editing those podcasts on it. I'm pretty sure he's tired just listening to Matt and I ramble on about our our inside Star Wars jokes and all that kind of crap. And mm -hmm. when it comes to hating movies... As we all know, I hated Wonder Woman 84, you know, a lot. Yeah. And, but I think Austin might be neck and neck with me in how much he hates Return of the Jedi. That's true. He might actually even hate Return of the Jedi even more than I do. I definitely hate it more than you hate Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. Then there you go. Now, Austin, this is kind of a weird um, little scenario here because you are both, I guess you could say, the judge and a nominee. So before you make your decision, is there any thing that you would like to say? Are there any questions you'd like to ask us about the nominees? Or is there anything that you need to say before making this decision? I think I have one question I need to ask Matt before I can make my decision. Mm. Do you think Star Wars has warped my mind so much this year that I wouldn't be able to choose between The Grey or The Phantom Menace being a better movie? No, no. And that is speaking... I'm speaking to Austin, who's asking me, and he is someone that spent hours and hours and hours watching these movies then spent hours and hours and hours recording these podcasts with Keith and I, and then spent hours and hours and hours editing these podcasts. That being said, I think Austin would absolutely know that The Grey is indeed a better film than The Phantom Menace. I think that's a good point. And the award is in, and the most damaged by Star Wars, person of the year is... Keith Baker! Oh. I'm scratching myself from the nominee because he still can't decide if The Grey or The Phantom Menace is the better film. Well, hold on. Quick, Keith, do you have an answer to that question? I still don't know. Oh, my God. You're right, Austin. You're right. Okay, Keith deserves this award still. <laughs> I'm honored, and I, uh, I accept. You should not be honored, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, you, get an, you get an award, at least. It doesn't matter what it's called. You, you get an yeah, award. Yeah, I'm just honored to get, the, get an award. Yeah, that's, that's, all, you, that's yeah, all you need. Cool. Let's move on to some more exciting fair here. 2020 was an interesting year. And frankly, I don't think there was enough um, controversy. There certainly wasn't enough of a fan base 
absolutely relentlessly on Twitter wanting just director's cuts. You know what I mean? We got the Snyder cut, okay? I've been, ever since they announced it, I've been dying these last six months. Are we not going to get any more people on Twitter praising and asking for director's cuts every single day? And that is what inspired this award. The next award is the 2020 product that we wish we could have seen the Joss Whedon cut of. Now, this is our first new award. And Joss Whedon, I think we can probably all agree, did a unanimously praised version of Justice League a few years ago. And so obviously, since he's a man with little to no controversy to his name, he's a widely praised filmmaker. And that's all you need to know, I guess. With that in mind, what came out this year that Mr. Whedon could have done better, do you guys think? And the nominees are Wonder Woman 84. The finale of The Mandalorian Season 2. For Wonder Woman 84, there's not much of an explanation needed. I think anybody else could have made a better movie. <laughs> Old Jossie boy, he made a cut of his own that people didn't know about. But the original was so bad and so hyped up that he's just too nervous to release it. It's too much pressure for him. And for The Mandalorian Season 2, we all know... Nobody does CGI better than Joss. I mean, that Superman mustache overlaid onto iPhone footage, just brilliant. And The Mandalorian Season 2 brings us a funky-looking Luke Skywalker. His lips don't line up with his speech, and his smile looks more creepy than the way Padme looked at prepubescent Anakin Skywalker. Now, who do we know that can fix all these issues? It's Josh Whedon. Release the fucking Whedon cut already. Josh made a bold decision to shoot the entirety of the Mando finale only using his iPhone 5. Disney couldn't handle it, and now he's got unreleased footage, and we need to see it. Wow. I was not expecting great nominees. I have some important questions that I simply can't come to a decision without knowing the answer to. First of all, Keith, it's more of, I suppose, a challenge, less so than a question. But you say that probably anybody could have done a better job at directing this than the original. I want you to give me the main reason why not anybody, but Joss Whedon specifically could have made this better. If Wonder Woman 84 is a 5.8 on IMDb, what is Avengers on there? Probably like a 7 point something? You would have to imagine. You would have to imagine. There you go. That says it right there. That's true. Two full points on IMDb. Wow. More. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like these points. I like these points. Now to move over to Austin. You talk about Luke Skywalker. If he didn't look great. That is true. But before we get to that, I would like to know, what actor do you think Joss Whedon may have included in the Mando finale that we didn't get to see in the original version? As we know, Mando's got some pretty cool gadgets. And you know you know what we really haven't seen from the Mando that I think Joss Whedon could do? We need some crossbow action. We need some bow and arrow action. And as we all know, Joss Whedon has a relationship with Hawkeye himself, Jeremy Renner. Wow. And I think he would bring in Jeremy Renner. And not only would he just bring in Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner would score this episode with his brand new album <laughs> that he just released. No way! Oh my gosh, from that one car commercial? Take a medicine! Okay, this, this opens a whole new can of worms. I want to know, Austin, I'm not going to ask about the entire episode since he's scoring the whole thing. But for that finale moment, because I imagine the moment itself, regardless of who's cutting it, it has to stay the same. That tearful farewell that um, Din Djarin and Grogu share while giving him permission to go off with Luke Skywalker. What? Jeremy Renner's song, or what's the vibe of the song that he's going to provide for that tearful farewell moment? Well, I'll tell you. Please. First of all, we'll we'll pan in on that trembling, de-aged Mark Hamill lip. Mm. Then we'll cut over 
to Baby Yoda's deep, soulful eyes. Yeah. And then we zoom in on Mando's helmet. And then Jeremy Renner comes in underneath. I never said I was sorry. Cut back to Baby Yoda. Never sorry. <laughs> Cut back to Mark Hamill. No, no. Oh my gosh. Wow. That did, I closed my eyes for that entire thing, and it certainly painted a picture that seems more interesting than the original. There's no doubt about that. And then, post-credit scene. What? Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye coming to Disney Plus 2022. Oh, the book of Hawkeye. Wow. I gotta say, I was, this was already a hard decision before you guys started kind of hyping this up, and you've made it all the more difficult. After careful consideration, the 2020 product that we need, damn it, we need to see the Joss Whedon cut of is the finale of The Mandalorian Season 2. Release the Whedon cut, please. Give this guy work. He's never done us wrong. Joss Whedon has unreleased footage and we need to see it! <laughs> the next award, I can't speak for you two, but for me, it's equally as serious in the way... It could shake the industry and tantalize fans around the world. I'm a big, big Nicolas Cage fan, like most people. And that's how I came to the conclusion that we could not do an award show without having this award. And it is. The Nicolas Cage should have been in this award. Nicolas Cage is basically the most exciting and unpredictable actor of all time to watch. And frankly... He should have been in even more projects this year. It's probably the only thing that could have made 2020 a bit more tolerable while living in quarantine. So let's break down what Nicolas Cage should have and would have made better this year. And the nominees are... The Disney Plus stream of Hamilton. And Sebastian Stan's boring cop character from The Devil All the Time. Alright, so let's talk about Hamilton. Many of America's founding fathers appear in this masterful musical. But who's missing? Do you guys know who's missing? Why, it's none other than Ben Franklin, of course. And there's only one way to correct this egregious snub. And it's Nick Cage appearing in character as Ben Franklin Gates singing about stealing the Declaration of Independence. I did not think you were going to tie in the National Treasure franchise to this. We need him in character. We need. We don't need Ben Franklin. We need Ben Franklin Gates. That's a great call. That's a great call. As far as Sebastian Stan's boring cop character, Lee Bodecker, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Deputy Lee Bodecker, <laughs> I think uh, I think Nick would have been a good replacement for him. Um, and it could have changed the plot of this movie in an entirely different way. It could have been like a, a Ghost Rider 3. What? A National Treasure 3 all in one. The way you do that is, instead of Carl, Carl and Sandy picking up young Arvin, mm -hmm. you get... Nick Cage, he does not die. Yeah, Arvin does not kill him. <laughs> he ends up picking up Arvin before Carl and Sandy do. On his motorcycle that he has in Ghost Rider, picks Arvin up and then says to him, we got to drive to D.C. to kidnap the president of the United States of America. And then Arvin asks, is Raleigh going to be there? And the credits roll. Wow. You guys are both setting up amazing. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> You guys are both setting up not only better films, unequivocally in my opinion, but the franchise potential for both of these is just out of this world. So I got to ask, Austin, obviously with Hamilton, we're dealing with a real life material here. 
how what is the means in which Benjamin Franklin Gates is able to be a part? Are we looking at a time travel situation or how is this possible? We are looking at a time travel situation, but it's not really more of a a, a real modern day situation. It's more of a Disney, you know, they're a franchise. Mm. They're a big corporation. They're always looking for ways to tie things together. This is more of a way to market National Treasure 3. And who better to do so than bringing in Nicolas Cage to the biggest musical of all time, playing arguably the biggest character of all time, Benjamin Franklin Gates, <laughs> in one of the most beloved franchises of all time, National Treasure, crossing over the universe of Hamilton with the universe of National Treasure, tying them together. We're now looking at a multiverse. I love that. I love that. I mean, speaking of multiverse, we have to talk about what Keith mentioned with... I, I, there's so much to say. And... Every single thing is positive, if I do say so myself. With Nicolas Cage replacing Sebastian Stan as Lee, sorry, Deputy Lee Bodecker, this opens up a world of possibilities with him being the Ghost Rider, as you mentioned, and leading into National Treasure 3 as well. Which franchise is most central to this multiverse that you're creating? I'm curious. Which is the most important to you? I think Ghost Rider and National Treasure go together in this one. I love that. I can't, I can't decide between the two of them. And it would make for a stronger Gates, you know? Mm. He can turn into like a flaming skull man when he needs to. And young Arvin will be there with him with the revolver. <laughs> I think what it comes down to, I'm, I'm, I'm almost ready to make my decision. I just have one more thing that I need to know. Keith, you talk a lot about how Nicolas Cage could really add to the devil all the time. But I didn't notice too many changes to Arvin's character. And I'm curious... After spending a lot of, since he doesn't kill Lee, after spending a lot of time on the run, essentially, with him after he kills Robert Pattinson's priest character, they're probably going to have to, I suppose, maybe change their names to evade local authorities. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. And I'm I'm, I'm so curious. I know if you're, with your mind for franchise potential, I, I think I knew where you were going. Does Tom Holland, as Arvin's character, does he change his name to Uncle Ben Parker? setting up the fact that he is the younger version of Uncle Ben that will grow up to die and inspire Tom Holland's Spider-Man to be Spider-Man? Heck yes. This is a fourplex of oh my a God. franchise coming together in one indie movie. You're damn right it is. And I and I love <laughs> and I love every second of it. I'm ready to hand out the award. And this is without a doubt the hardest so far. And I want to praise both of you for such fantastic nominees. The Nicolas Cage should have been in this award goes to... He should have played Sebastian Stan's boring cop character in The Devil All the Time. This is a snub. This is a snub, and I will not stand for it. I'm complaining to the Academy. There is potential oh, snub here. Come on. You're right. There <laughs> is a potential snub. But what it comes down to for me is while... The idea of seeing Ben Franklin Gates and Hamilton to right that wrong you mentioned and sing a song in as new well, tights, I know, is incredible. But the fact of the matter is, you were primarily setting up National Treasure Three. Keith was setting up National Treasure Three, Ghost Rider Three, Spider Man Homecoming, and The Devil All the Time Two on the run. And also, just to be serious, <laughs> Sebastian Stan was the worst part of that movie, so Nicolas Cage should have been. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Our next award it is the most likely to be called a Cunt by Billy Butcher Award. There's nothing more powerful in one's arsenal than to tap into your inner Billy Butcher from the boys. Let's see who deserves this award. 
I think we have some good nominees here. And the nominees are... New Line Cinema Executive Kale Boiter. And Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. So Kale Boiter's a cunt. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. He got lucky that he just happened to love, fucking love, Will Ferrell, in his words, at the right time that somebody was looking to build a movie around Will Ferrell. And honestly, if he met Billy Butcher on the street, Billy Butcher would call him a cunt. I agree, to be honest. It's not my nominee, but I I agree wholeheartedly. I think Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor truly deserves to be called a cunt by Billy Butcher. And it's really for his red wig alone. I just, knowing Billy Butcher after watching two seasons of The Boys, if he ever saw this young boy sticking cherry Jolly Ranchers into people's mouths, he would certainly, certainly get the cunt distinction. But to take it even further, if he were to try a la Black Noir and Giancarlo Esposito's character to make a deal, so to speak, with Billy Butcher, and then that deal ended the same way as in BVS by sticking a cherry Jolly Rancher in Billy Butcher's mouth? He's not just getting called a cunt. He's going to get the Haley Joel Osment treatment, you might say, and get his head bashed in, in a ba- on a bathroom sink. Counterpoint, there's not much distinction between Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor and Huey Campbell. And Billy Butcher loves Huey Campbell. I don't know. I think once Lex starts pouring that sherry and walking across his big mansion and he starts talking about all this religious and philosophical stuff, Billy Butcher is just going to call him and see you next Tuesday and shoot him with a shotgun through the groin. All right. The most likely to be called a cunt by Billy Butcher award goes to Kale Boiter. Congratulations to Kale Boiter. He once again continues to fail upward and wins another award. All right, so our next award is the Most Ridiculous Line Award. We are taking a deep dive into every piece of content we discuss in the podcast this year, and we want to know which line made us cringe, feel uncomfortable, laugh, and look away from the TV in shame. Our nominees are Robert Pattinson in his uncomfortable southern draw, spitting out and yelling, Delusions! And Cyborg, at the end of Justice League, laughing uncomfortably and going, Man, my toes hurt. I don't even understand the physics of how my toes hurt. All right. The lines speak for themselves, I guess. The only thing I'm going to say about mine, the line itself is awkward. And it's also preceded and followed by equally terrible lines. And here they are. It's Superman groaning and going, I take it back. I want to die. And then they both laugh in pain. We get our stupid toe line. And then this line is literally preceded by Henry Cavill, a not an old man. Superman, also not an old man. And he just starts laughing like, (laughs) because he thought that Cyborg's toe line was the funniest thing that he's ever heard in his entire life. And I'll tell you what. It wasn't, because I didn't laugh. In fact, the second he said it, I literally turned around in my chair, started banging my head against the wall, and said, Where's the Snyder Cut? So, I think (laughs) this is just a ridiculous line. Well, I think my decision is made. The most ridiculous line award goes to Cyborg. Yeah, I I don't think he can beat that one. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I can't deny it. That, that cyborg line is hard to beat. It, it's deserving of the award. It's probably one of the worst things Josh Whedon has ever written, and it's probably one of the main reasons that we're getting the Snyder Cut. Wow. Thank God. These comical awards have been fun, but let's move into some more serious subjects. Keith, start us off with our first serious award of the night. As you all know, we've taken a look at several TV shows and movies as part of our bonus series reviews. We've done The Boys, The Boys Talking The Boys. We've done The Mandalorian, The Mandos Talking The Lorians, and we've done Tenet and a couple more. Those can be found on our podcast feeds. Go check them out. Uh, but which character from these were the best, do you guys think? And the nominees are... Ahsoka Tano from The Mandalorian Season 2. And Robert Pattinson's Neil from Tenet. How could we not mention Ahsoka in this category? Not only is her episode the best of the entire series, she also brings us a totally new style of Jedi fighting and almost makes me interested in the Star Wars prequels again. Talk about a way to introduce a new character. And then, boom, we also have a brand new series tied to her character as well. I mean, come on, she's got to be the best character in any of our bonus series this year. I would agree, Austin, until a little film called Tenet came out with one character simply called Neil, played by the delusional Robert Pattinson. And I gotta say, that hair alone, we talked about Lex Luthor earlier, how about his hair alone, he deserved to be called a cunt by Billy Butcher. I would say Robert Pattinson as Neil, his hair alone, it's just dripping with so much sex appeal that we have to give him this award. I gotta say, Ahsoka Tano's hair, where was it? It was just tentacles. I personally prefer Robert Pattinson's little mop. And also, he was just so damn cool, okay? He was the coolest cat in the entire film. And he's going on this movie. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Guess what? Boom. He does know what's going on. Hey, John David Washington, are you confused? I don't have the answers. Oh, wait. Boom. I do. You've been my best friend for years. Holy shit. I don't know if we got a cooler character in the year of our Lord, 2020, than Neil from Tenet. Neil certainly is a sex god in Tenet, but Ahsoka Tano <laughs> makes three of the worst movies ever made interesting again. It's got to be her. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. But you know what else I would say? Until I saw Neil from Tenet, I never wanted to see Robert Pattinson as Batman. But by golly. After that one performance alone and that beautiful character work that he did and as cool as he was, as good as he looked, I was like, give me 12 Batman films with Robert Pattinson. I'll watch them all. Ahsoka Tano was the first time I had fun watching Star Wars all year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and somehow the most damage still goes to me. But yeah, okay. <laughs> um... The best character in one of our bonus series goes to Ahsoka Tano. Nice. nice. We all know I'm the Star Wars fanboy, the three of us, as I've been called. And I thought that was really cool that they brought her in. And I thought um, Rosario Dawson did a swell job of playing her. And I'm really excited to see more of her character in the future. And speaking of Rosario Dawson, she could probably fall into this next category. Our next award tonight is the best casting of 2020. We got to shout out some people from this year that we thought were perfectly casted and knocked it out of the park with their performances. And the nominees are... Bill Burr as Mayfield in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. 
Anthony Starr as Homelander in season two of The Boys. Bill Burr, man. I think he's proved himself to be a pretty good actor. And we see that in The Mandalorian. Uh, when we first saw him in, the, in season one, uh, I was really surprised to see him in there. For one thing, I was like, I never would have thought Bill Burr would be in Star Wars. And I've even seen him in interviews saying that he did, you know, wasn't a fan of Star Wars all that much. So that was really cool to see him play something that he's not, you know, doesn't have an, all that much of an interest in. Um, and I thought he did a really cool job in that prison heist episode. Uh, and then this last episode he was in, in season two, he I think he knocked out of the park. Especially, he definitely showed off his acting abilities uh, at the, the mess hall scene. Showed off his dramatic skills. Um, I hope he maybe comes back in the future of Mandalorian. And I, I'm, you know, I hope he can get some other serious roles down the line. Bill Burr was great as Mayfeld, but he just wasn't as good as Anthony Starr as Homelander. I don't know how this guy did it, but he basically went through eight episodes of The Boys season one, and he was such a standout that he was basically made the main character of season two, probably had the most screen time, even though he is by far and away the most despicable villain I've seen in any media in the last few years. But Anthony Starr's performance makes him so watchable, so engaging, even when he's committing these acts, it's like, I can't look away and I don't even want to. And on top of that, we talk about emotional moments. This guy is disgusting as a person, but somehow they insert these little moments that even make me go, that's kind of a good, that's kind of a good point. Like the moment where he's talking with Billy Butcher's wife, essentially, about their child that they had together. And he's like, no, you, you have to stop lying about who he is and his powers and who his family is because that's what that's what they did to me when I was a kid. They did that to me. They lied. They kept me inside. They kept me hidden away from the world. And by the time I was old enough to see the world, it destroyed me. And he's acknowledging that it made him who he was today. It's such an introspective performance, so subtle. And when things get crazy, he gets crazy too. And it doesn't feel forced. And somehow he sustains this through like 16 episodes of The Boys now. And in season two, he was even better than season one. So I got to go Anthony Starr on this one. All right, I have a question for each of you. Keith, I'll come to you first. Let's say Bill Burr gets his own Mayfield show. Do you think he could carry that show? I mean, yeah, if he got his own Mayfield show, I think he could carry the show. I think he has potential. It's hard to tell right now since we've only seen him in two episodes, but I do think... Well, see, that's what I'm wondering. We've only seen him in two episodes, and do we love him so much because we want what we can't have? We want more Mayfield, but we may not be able to have more Mayfield. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, but I do, I do definitely think Bill Burr has the, the acting abilities and yeah. And, and the personality to carry a show for sure. Um, I think, I think that mess hall scene was really good acting and if he can continue to do a performance like that, then I think, yeah, he, he definitely has the potential to carry a show. And Matt, I'll swing to you now. Obviously, Anthony Starr plays an extremely despicable character in The Boys, could you imagine anybody else in the role? No, I really can't. I think part of that is because he was a bit of an unknown quantity to not just myself, but a lot of people before joining the cast of The Boys. And he was basically joining as the main villain. So now as time has gone on, he's really made the role his own. And it's kind of like his own little flagship role in a sense, kind of kicking off his career in a big way. So I really can't. I mean, certainly there are actors out there that could do what he's done. But I think in a, in a lot of ways, what he's done is it's a combination of the attitude, the nonchalantness outside of action scenes and just the daily stuff. 
kind of like the business side of the superhero world they're in. And when people disagree with them, whenever they bring out that dark side, the way things just change on a dime. That's kind of the whole thing I love about Homelander is how fast things change. And just with a little bit of like movement in his face somehow, Anthony Starr, like the range of emotions that he can do just by like somehow flickering his eyes in a different direction or something is insane in the best way possible. And the look and design of the character too, at this point, I just cannot picture anybody else in this role. And I, I wouldn't want anybody else to be in it. I think he's so damn good. All right. The award is now in. And the best casting of 2020 goes to Anthony Starr's Homelander. Bill Burr, a fantastic nominee. The thing that sold it for me is Matt brought up how quickly Anthony Starr switches Homelander's personality on a dime. He does that, I think, better than anybody working today. And I could not imagine anybody else in that role as well. Anthony Starr is badass in the boys. Can't wait to see season three. The next award we have to give out today is the best visuals. And I think it's fitting that I'm handing out this award tonight because I think I'm kind of the visuals guy of the podcast. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but what came out in 2020 that was the best looking thing from the CGI department? And the nominees are... The Boys Season 2. Tenet. Uh, yeah, I think the boys have some awesome vi- visuals. Um. I think some of their visuals actually creep me the hell out sometimes, too. I don't know about you guys when you're watching the show, but there's so many moments in The Boys that I'm always just shocked by in every episode, especially when there's when it involves murdering people with their powers. It gets pretty intense, and I think it looks pretty damn good. You know, if we're going to compare this to other superhero movies, it does rival uh, other visuals in, you could say, Avenger movies, maybe some of the Avenger movies. Uh, definitely Wonder Woman 84. Oh, yeah. wow. That was terrible visuals in there. <laughs> it's a great nominee, no doubt. But right now, let's talk about Tenet. Shouldn't be a shocker that a Chris Nolan movie made it on for something visual related. While I, and I don't think the rest of us, fully understood Tenet, I certainly loved how they used visual effects and visual storytelling to show how this interesting time mechanic how it affected the world, time itself, and our characters as they move backwards through multiple different things. Dialogue, action, dramatic scenes, emotional scenes. They And like I said, they even have full-on action, like war sequences with this crazy effect, and it somehow always looks seamless. While I admit that I did not love this movie and it was a bit weak for me, the visuals were stunning, fantastic, and they were done so well that it almost didn't even seem like a visual effect. It just felt like a real world thing. It just felt like time is actually moving backwards. They found a way using the CG and the visuals to make it look so real. And I was so appreciated and cool. And it added to the world of that movie for sure. And just like the simple dialogue scenes. It's like they use it for everything. And it was always so cool to watch. And that is primarily why I'm nominating Tenet. For Tenet, Matt, do you think it's the choreography and the blocking of the action? Or do you think it's the actual visuals and like slow motion special effects that make the movie look good? I think it's a combination. I think choreography is always important, but at the same time, while it might be a bit simplifying kind of the stuff that the performers did, it wouldn't have it would have just been a standard action movie had they not incorporated this like legendary slow-mo, adding in the effects whenever they're outside of stuff just in the background moving backwards. So it's like while I think maybe more so than a lot of things, the blocking is incredibly important for this. 
if it wasn't presented in a way where stuff was moving backwards and time itself and our characters were moving backwards, nobody would have cared. It would have just been a standard action affair. So, yeah, I think it, it was completely necessary to add to this movie in the way it did. And Keith, can you submit to me an example of something in The Boys Season 2 that looks great other than superhero powers? I mean, there's lots of chase scenes with the uh, with the humans. Yeah, that I think they have great visuals as well as far as explosions and combat scenes and all that. But yeah, I think some of the best, if you're going as far as the best visuals in the show, you do get some really good ones with the superhero people, uh, obviously, because that's the hardest thing to create. Okay. And the best visuals of 2020 go to Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Wow. Obviously, probably one of the most underwhelming movies of the year, but visually pleasing. It's just eye candy through and through. And who does it better than Christopher Nolan when it comes to visuals? It's a great point. It's a great point. All right, everybody. It is time for probably the most important question on social media this year. What is the hottest take of 2020? So we all love our controversial opinions, am I right? Austin and Keith have come up with a couple of their hottest takes of the year. I want to know what they came up with. So boys, let's not do this whole thing of setting up. I want to know right now, what are your hottest takes? The nominees are. This is one of Matt Johnson's very own takes. (gasps) Birds of Prey is the best DCEU movie. Wonder Woman 1984 is the worst DC movie to date. Both of these takes come from our most recent episode this week, and Matt's take comes from when we were doing our rankings. He ranked Birds of Prey as the best DCEU movie to date. And I mean, that's got to be the hottest take of 2020. I don't think anybody would put Birds of Prey as number one. I think some people would say Wonder Woman, some Man of Steel, and maybe there's a rogue BVS out there, but nobody nobody is putting Birds of Prey at number one. The same guy that has Solo, number three or four in Star Wars. Birds of Prey, number one, baby. All right, this is an interesting, this is another interesting weird thing. Like earlier when we had Austin, I guess, slash Keith in the most damaged by Star Wars. I am the judge here and Austin's hot take is my own hot take. Not even his, he doesn't even agree. So this, this could lead to some beautiful moments. Keith, please though, tell us about Wonder Woman 84 one more time. <laughs> so, you know, why is Wonder Woman 84 a pretty hot take? And, I, I, you know, like I said earlier, I think it's the shittiest DC movie in the DC universe so far. Because uh, I think other people, I think you guys included, would say that Suicide Squad and or Justice League would maybe be the worst. But I just not, I'm just not seeing it. I think I'd rather watch Justice League over Wonder Woman. So, Austin, since I guess you are arguing for me... I want you to give me the primary reason that Birds of Prey, in your opinion, that my opinion, (laughs) makes it rank above some of these greats like Wonder Woman and Man of Steel. If I'm entering the mind of Matt Johnson, what do I think? What do I think makes Birds of Prey the best movie in the DCEU? I think he has a lot of fun with it. Mm. I think he likes Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I think he likes the villain. And I think a lot of the comedy works for him in this movie. That is true. That is true. Just to be clear. Keith, I have two questions. One is a wording question. You say Wonder Woman 84 
is the worst DC movie. Now, when you say DC, are you including all of DC? Meaning, not just the DCEU. Basically, any movie that has ever come out under the DC banner. Is that what you are saying? I'm thinking more recent, like, DC Universe movies. Okay. All right, good to know. So with that in mind, I need to know specifically. I'm not going to do the whole list, but I want to know from you, why is Wonder Woman 1984 worse than Suicide Squad? Because I was actually entertained with Suicide Squad, even though the story wasn't all that great. I thought the characters, they did a lot better job with the characters there. It was kind of new for me. I didn't really know too much about the Suicide Squad. Um, Jerker was good in it, even though he was only in it for a brief stint. Harley Quinn was badass. Um, everybody else is a little weaker. But Wonder Woman 84, I think, just completely shit the bed. Um, this might be the hardest one. It's certain, yeah. I mean, obviously, my take of Birds of Prey being the best DCEU movie is a hot take. <sighs> but even though I personally disagree with Keith, Wonder Woman 84 being the worst is also obviously a hot take. And I can't believe it that Keith is somehow kind of, all I'll say is, I disagree, but I understand where he's coming from because he was at least entertained by what was going on in Suicide Squad. Maybe he was bad. But it entertained him, whereas Wonder Woman just left him bored for two and a half hours. And Austin has the monumental task of his hot take is mine, not his. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a bit of a controversial question. We'll see where this goes, but I just want to know it for my purposes. Austin, I liked how you submitted mine, and you did argue the points that are indeed why I find it to be the best. But I want to know... If you had to have submitted a hot take, I just want to make sure I'm, 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 I understand your taste as much as I think. What would have been one of your hot takes, do you think, that you would have submitted? I mean, I think it would have had to have been that Slave 1 doesn't look that cool in The Mandalorian Season 2. That would have been a good one. And now I feel like Austin and Mai's mind are a bit more closer to melding together. So now I feel like I understand him as he clearly understands me. Matt, let me, let me make this a, let me make this a little easier for you. Please, Matt. please, I'm struggling. Our very own Keith Baker thinks Suicide Squad, the movie led but then snubbed by Jared Leto, is a better movie than Wonder Woman 1984. He also thinks Justice League, the movie that is Frankenstein together by two different directors, has Superman with iPhone footage in it, is a better movie. Than Wonder Woman 1984. Well, not much better. I think they're all three pretty shit. You said it, Keith. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> but Wonder Woman 84 is the worst out of those three. The purpose of this award was the hottest take of 2020. And here's where it comes down to. The hottest take of 2020 is... It's that Wonder Woman 84 is the worst DCEU movie. There are people out there that are disappointed by Wonder Woman, but I don't know if there is a soul that thought it was worse than Suicide Squad. So Keith gets the gets the award for the hottest take here. <laughs> Let's leave those hot takes behind. It's time to just talk about simply the best thing to come out in 2020. I want to talk about what we think is pretty universally loved, certainly by us, but also just everyone, I guess. We won't distinguish between TV or movie or whatever you guys want to pick. I just want to know what is the best thing to come out in 2020. The nominees are The Mandalorian Season 2. 
Palm Springs. Not to take away from Mando season one, as I equally enjoyed that one, but it is 2020. And you know, when I'm thinking about the series, I'm 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 gonna go roll back to 2015, before the new Star Wars sequels came out. And I was thinking, you know, they should have left the franchise as it was, stopped at Return of Jedi. They should have stopped there. But at the same time, I was excited to see what they would do with the story, what they would do with the characters, Han, Luke, and Leia, and all that. Um, But just like Obi-Wan to Anakin, they failed me. But with Rogue One, Solo, and Mando Season 1, there was a new hope. And 2020, with Season 2, I was not disappointed. Very entertaining. This series this year, you know, has been my favorite thing to watch and look forward to every week. Sad it's over. I'm really looking forward to season three. Uh, I think the writing, the acting, the uh, directing are all excellent. And they bring something new to the table while still keeping the old nostalgia of our old Star Wars universe alive. Was there a movie more perfect for 2020 than Palm Springs? I think not. In a year where every day feels the same, literally every fucking day feels the same, Palm Springs unintentionally took that very premise and turned it into a hilarious, heartwarming story that works on so many levels. There is a way for this movie to have bombed hard. Honestly, it probably should have. In other hands, it definitely would have. But Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and Max Barbaco brought us a good time from beginning to end. It's so fun, it's so smart, and it's so charming. It is the best thing to come out in 2020. So, we have a scenario where we have a TV show up against a movie. Eight hours versus an hour and a half, probably. So, Austin, I want to know, why did the much shorter Palm Springs in comparison hit you more than something that kind of was stretched out in a positive way, like The Mandalorian Season 2? Well, as I talked about on The Mandos Talking the Lorian... There's a few episodes in, in The Mandalorian Season 2 that didn't work for me. Whereas for Palm Springs, I think the entirety from start to finish is great. I also think Palm Springs is pretty endlessly rewatchable. I think every time you do rewatch it, you pick up on something new. Um, so if we're just talking about the best thing to come out in 2020, how can I pick something that I felt like had a, had a letdown a couple weeks, whereas Palm Springs, I think, blew me away from start to finish? I'll say that Mandalorian Season 2 is also rewatchable, though. I plan on going back and rewatching Season 1 and 2 at some point. I think only one episode is rewatchable. I don't want to sit through that entire season again. What? Oh, man. I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Um, like I said, it brings so many cool characters in. And we, you know, we were talking earlier with Bill Burr. Uh, Boba Fett's back. So they, they do a good job of bringing in um, the old Star Wars characters while combining with new and improved uh, new characters. I don't know how else to word it really. Yeah, they do a good job of combining the old planets. So they have the old school Tatooine, and then they combine it with the new planets like Navarro and all that. But they also get talks of the old Star Wars story as uh, Cara Dune talks about her planet Alderaan. So you just get all this good nostalgia mixed in with new action, new stories. And then at the very end of the season, we get a glimpse into the Boba Fett story. So, Do you really want to go to Tatooine again? I'll go to Tatooine as long as I do something. Like we said before, if it's a cool side story, I'm all for it. Like you said before, I said I never need to go to Tatooine again in this franchise. (laughs) I want to end this on a positive note. Austin, I want you to tell me what your favorite thing is about The Mandalorian Season 2. And Keith, I want you to tell me what your favorite thing is about Palm Springs. 
I think I've said it in the episode, my favorite thing about The Mandalorian Season 2 is Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka Tano. Mm. She makes me interested in the prequels. She makes me want to go watch the animated Clone Wars story, and she makes me excited for the future of Star Wars. Uh, my favorite thing about Palm Springs, I would say, is the time travel sequence in it. You know, it's been a while since we have a, we've had a good time travel movie, and they brought a good one in, in here in 2020. And I think Kristen Milioti and Andy, Serberg, Andy Sandberg uh, played awesome and funny characters. I don't think anybody else could have played them better. I mean, yeah. Is, is there a better actor working today than Andy Sherbert? <laughs> Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Andy Sherbert, man. Okay. I'm surprised with my answer, but I have one. This is, I think, the biggest award of the night. It might. I think, I it, think is. it is, too. And I think these nominees, at least for me, are the actual answers that I would have made. If I was the one, not just coming up with the category, but picking the two nominees, I definitely would have picked these two things. Because The Mandalorian Season 2 made me a fan of The Mandalorian, because I was not a fan of the first season. And Palm Springs was just the most surprisingly pleasant movie of the year. The award for the best thing to come out in 2020 is... Palm Springs. Whoa, I thought you were going to go Mandalorian. I will say... I will say... I thought you were going to go Palm Springs. <laughs> there is a caveat. I think The Mandalorian Season 2, for me, is probably the best thing to come out in 2020. But I liked Austin's argument. I liked him talking about how, hey man, it's a TV show. It's eight hours. It's not always going to hit. It didn't always hit for me. Palm Springs, you have a nice hour and a half, and it never doesn't hit. And I think that was a pretty good point. I had a blast with Palm Springs. I had a blast with both of these. But I liked Austin's argument, so I'm going to give Austin and Palm Springs the award on this tonight. And I'll even add to Austin's argument, Mando Season 2, you know why I think it's the best thing to come out in 2020. I'm with you guys on Palm Springs because Mando Season 2 is really kind of directed more for Star Wars fans in general. But Palm Springs could be for anybody. And yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I'm, I'm making jokes out, Keith. The Mandalorian Season 2 is great. It's my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite shows to come out in 2020. Um, like Matt said, it made me more a fan of The Mandalorian, and I can't wait for Season 3. I will say, though, finally... To preface, Austin said that that might have been our biggest award of the night. I think I might have to respectfully disagree, because this next one, and our final one, is pretty damn huge. Alright, we are down to our last award of the night. Our last award is the best of our bracket winners. So, if you were a regular listener, you know we've done five brackets this year. So we've done five brackets of the best food movie, the best movie score, the best Halloween movie, the best sports movie, and the best holiday movie. So each time we've pitted 12 movies up against each other and ended up with one winner. Now we're going to take the five winners and decide once and for all which is the best bracket movie. So and the far. nominees are, so far, and the nominees are, for food, we got Chef. For score... We got Interstellar. For Halloween, we have Scream. And for sports, we have Warrior. And for holiday, we have Klaus. Well, this one's the our only different one. You know, we're not doing... We have more nominees than the others, and we're all voting this time. So, I guess the first thing we gotta say, just the final little preface is, as we discussed, just so the audience knows... It's not like we're going, is Chef a better food movie versus Interstellar for being a better score? We just said, you know, screw the criteria that we came up with the winner. We're just looking at these five movies and which is the best movie. Not looking at anything specific. Just what is the best out of these? 
So does anybody have any burning kind of like what their pick might be or an idea at least? Oh, yeah. Hands down, easily for me, the best movie out of these five is Warrior. Ooh, no, no, sir. Warrior, for me, is endlessly rewatchable. It's one of my favorite movies ever made. I love Tom Hardy in the lead. I love his counterpart, Joel Edgerton. I think the writing is brilliant. I think the story is so heartwarming. It's the only movie that genuinely makes me tear up every single time I watch it. I think the fights are brilliant. I think it's so brutal. Everything about it I love and I think is a perfect movie. Very passionate, very strong, very beautiful. Here's the thing. Chef, as we know, sucks. Um... <laughs> Chef is way better than Matt ever gives us credit for. I do actually really love Chef. Um, Interstellar. I don't know if it has a... I don't, I don't know. A bit disappointing for me. I'm in this weird little state where I'm trying to think about Warrior, Klaus, and Scream, which, funnily enough, were all of our holiday-themed ones. I love Warrior. But the reason I gave Austin that immediate, I don't think so, response is, while Warrior is great, and it's certainly emotional, I just think the range of emotions, the craft of the filmmaking, the way it's shot, the character development... I just think there was more to it and more payoff in Klaus. And I've seen Warrior so many times. So many times. Klaus, I've only seen once still. I've still only seen once whenever we just... I randomly watched it on Netflix and was like, Hey guys, I randomly watched this. It was really good. Let's put it in our bracket last minute. And it won. And I think, while I love Warrior, it's kind of weirdly, it's like a flashback to our holiday bracket. Because our final pair-up was Klaus versus Elf. And I have more nostalgia and feelings for something like for something like Elf in that scenario and in this one, Warrior. But the same argument for why I gave Klaus the win is, I just think, while everything Austin said is true, I think Klaus was just the better movie from a craft perspective, characters, and all. Yeah, it just, it, it hit me so hard. I cried too, just like I cry in Warrior. I don't cry in a lot of movies. And... I just thought it was pretty pitch perfect. So it's going to be one I watch every year and I'm going to re recommend to everybody. And I don't know. So Keith, before you give your answer, I want to know, are you kind of thinking that one of the ones that we have said is what you're going to go with? Or is there an outsider choice, do you think? Well, before I say out of the two that y'all chose, which one I like better, I'm going to say another possible strong one. And while there wasn't really a criteria for this one, I'm kind of making up my own criteria for it, and I'm thinking Scream is actually a pretty pretty strong candidate. Now, is it the better movie out of Warrior and Klaus? Obviously not. But we're also trying to find the best of our bracket winners, and okay. Scream made it to the top of our bracket pretty fast in the Halloween bracket. I would almost disagree with that, Keith. I think... Warrior and Klaus ran to the top pretty quickly in those brackets. Whereas uh, for me personally with Scream, I never going into that episode would have thought I would have ended up voting for Scream to win. And I did. If we're talking about our craziest bracket win, it's no doubt Scream. Because I still remember when we recorded that, I literally had this whole tangent where I was like, okay, we made it to the final Austin. I'm not even like doing like a, like a bit. Whenever I said it, I was like, 
Okay, Austin, like you can cut this out because it's going to like ruin the show. But I mean, we all know it's going to be The Shining. Was anything going to be The Shining? And then Austin, the one person that like the person that like screamed the least was like, I'm voting for Scream. It's I think it's the best. (laughs) It's the best Halloween movie. So Yeah, Scream had a pretty good fight. Well, I think you're right, Austin. Warrior did rise to the top pretty quickly. Uh, We put down the fighter really fast, which was all a surprise to us, even though we all love that movie from our past. Uh, And Klaus. Klaus made it with a pretty easy fight, I guess. We it had did. a couple yeah. uh, that maybe were controversial, but um, but I think Scream had the hardest pass. So I'm saying... I like where Keith is going with this. I like it I too, I gotta say. I think we may almost have to rephrase this award. I think we may have to call it the biggest bracket surprise of 2020. Mm. And if we're going to go that way, we got to give it to Scream. Well, you know what? We have to give I'll say this, Scream. though. Why not combine them? Why not combine them? I think there's nothing wrong with leaving the verbiage the same, but you know what? Let's just combine it. Let's think about what's the best movie, but let's keep that that you know that surprise factor, that fight factor in the back of our minds. And that's certainly, I think, equal criteria. And you're certainly changing my mind here, Keith. Because Scream, without a doubt, had the hardest fight. I think Scream certainly wins it if we're looking at like our best bracket surprise and it's like the best winner of our bracket but if we're saying what is the best movie out of these then that's where it gets tough so i don't know i mean do you guys after kind of talking that through do you have a more solid idea or because i'm a bit lost now if you guys are more solid speak up please i think we all have made substantial arguments for all three of these films winning i think it's time to declare a winner keith i think you have a strong one in your mind Take it away. All right. So the best bracket winner goes to for Halloween. Scream. Wow. Yeah. We can't deny it. That had the toughest path to the top. It was the biggest surprise when it won. And Scream deserves it, man. Scream deserves it. Well, come next year, you know, we're going to do the same thing with just these couple nominees. And then we're going to get to our last one where we're going to have to debate like 10 or 11 movies. (laughs) So (laughs) we only did like half a year's worth this time. So next year is going to be tough. And I guess we can say it right now. Why not? We're taking a month off from the brackets, but we are back in full force in February. And it's time for some rom-coms. It's going to be a good one. So we're going to start wrapping this up. But guys, this has been a blast this year putting together this podcast. I personally have had so much fun making the Arnie's. And I kind of want to know what have been y'all's favorite episodes of the year. I think definitely the bracket episodes have been some of my favorites to do. Something, something about the debates is just fun to me the competitiveness of it and i like the surprise factor at the end of like who makes it down to the top but being that being said i have enjoyed our breakdowns of the star wars movies mandalorians oh we know keith (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i have so many i mean austin you go i mean what are you what are you feeling what was your favorite as well i want to i want to hear it so my personal favorite that we've put out is the movie scores episode. I had so much fun preparing for that one. I had fun finding the cheap freebie versions of the soundtracks. I had fun uh, presenting them to you guys on the episode and hearing your reactions. Uh, for me personally, that was that one was just so much fun to prepare for. I can't pick one. I have so many favorites. We've had such a fun time recording most of these. I will agree with Keith, the brackets, just because of like the preparation that has to go in them. It's like we have to rewatch some of our favorites, but we haven't seen them in a while. So we need to rewatch to refresh. And then every time we've done it, my favorite part is that we all get to watch movies that we've never seen before. And have probably heard something about that somebody else is recommending in the group. So it we finally have an excuse to watch something new. And I feel like for the most part, 
in all the brackets we've done, it's been a pretty like worthwhile experience. Like I finally got to watch this movie and it was really fun. Um, so the brackets have been great since I'm such a holiday movie guy. The holiday one that we just put out is certainly a highlight, but I'm going to say this one. I think I always try and go with funny. And I think one of the funnier ones we've put out, certainly, probably with quarantine and everything crazy going on this year, which we got to thank it a little bit because we wouldn't have probably started this podcast without it. It finally gave us that push to do it since we've been wanting to for so long. But I have not laughed so hard as I did when we recorded that New Hope episode, (laughs) which was just the perfect kickoff to our Star Wars series, which I don't even know if originally that was supposed to be like this big start to an 11 movie review series that was bi-monthly and then also The Mandalorian. But it just turned into that because we had so much fun with A New Hope and... We all were so excited to do it, and then we rewatched it, and we were like, oh my fucking god, it doesn't hold up at all. <laughs> and it was just us for like two hours just laughing our ass off quoting it. So I would say genuinely- The Mark Hamill impressions always get me in that oh episode. Oh my god, they're so good. If you need an episode of ours to go back to, truly I would recommend go back to our New Hope review and then just check out our Star Wars review series from there because you will have a blast, just like we did recording them. And a couple other ones I'll mention that I had a really fun doing was the Palm Springs episode. Oh, yeah. Which was, yeah. I mean, I guess we can disclose it, was somewhat of a scripted episode where we kind of did our own. We weren't really in a time loop. <laughs> or were we? <laughs> oh. Maybe they'll have to find out. I will say, we have we have more of those planned for 2021. I think we were hoping to do more of those kind of scripted, fun type of reviews that kind of focus on an aspect of the movie. So expect those next year. They're going to come back in a big way. And one other one I'll say was The Devil All the Time. And there's a reason why that one was one of my most fun ones. <laughs> Let's disclose uh, it. Matthew Let's disclose I, it. Matthew and I were very hungover the day we, we reviewed that. Austin was a nice sober boy that day, but Matthew and I were not so sober. Yeah. Uh, but that was actually one of the most fun ones I ever recorded because I felt like shit. <laughs> but for some reason, that movie was like the perfect movie to record to review when you feel like shit well the funny part (laughs) the funny part about it was i can't remember the whole like how the events unfolded chronologically but basically keith and i got really drunk the night before and then we recorded the episode the following morning and at some point i think i told austin that keith and i were drunk and then he was like Okay, that's funny, huh? But don't ever do that again. Let's not do that. And then Austin actually edited the episode and he was like, holy shit, it's so good. <laughs> so <laughs> we haven't been drunk for any of the other ones, but certainly if you want to go back and listen to that one, I think I held it in pretty well. But Keith, you might notice some things, but it was a fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and another one I'll mention just because I think we had a lot of fun preparing. And I think one of the ones I was most excited for to get y'all's opinions was our Bly Manor episode because that one dropped on a Friday. We recorded oh. on a Sunday. We had to binge the entire yeah. season on Friday and Saturday. Oh, and I was man. so excited to hear what you guys thought about that season when we started recording. That was our that was our weirdest one because yeah, like we've talked about with the brackets, basically what happens is we decide and because of the way we started this podcast and knowing the holiday season was coming up, we basically had three months in a row where we knew what the bracket was. It's gonna be Halloween, it's gonna be sports for Thanksgiving, and then holiday movies. So it was pretty easy to list them out and we basically each took 
the month leading up to watch those movies. But that did not happen with Bly Manor. Just the way we had stuff scheduled and with the Halloween bracket, we couldn't move it. We were also in the middle of our Star Wars series, so we had to do Last Jedi. And then we had other stuff that we couldn't move. So we were in a position where Bly Manor came out on a Friday. And like Austin said, we had to, we had to have it all watched and reviewed so we could record it on a Sunday morning. And that was a long weekend. And it, but it turned out so fun. So we didn't love it the show, really but it, it was a lot of fun to do that and record it. All right. Well, everybody, we also got to give just a heartfelt thank you for checking us out this year. As I think everybody feels, 2020 has just been a rough shit year. This podcast for the three of us has been a real bright spot. We've had so much fun putting this together, and we can't thank you enough for listening and checking us out throughout this year. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, truly. Just thank you for checking us out and following us and sharing us and interacting with us, any of those things. We have truly had a blast and it's just fun to talk about the things that we want to talk about. You know, I mean, we started this podcast because we've been best friends, like we said in our first trailer for 13 years now. And we just found ourselves talking about bullshit like this so much. We were like, look, we're not doing anything else this year. With living at home and all that. I mean, let's start a podcast. We've joked about it before and we finally did it. And we've truly had a blast preparing, recording and making this happen. And it's been genuinely, even though we're still kind of growing, it's been really, really damn cool to see people besides us like actually want to listen. So thanks for listening. And I love you guys, obviously. Not the audience. I love you guys too, but I'm I'm talking to Austin and Keith right now. So, uh, uh, but I, I love you all. But um, this has been a blast. I'm glad we finally did this. I admit when we first started, like when we first started in Austin, sent us the first like image in the website. I was totally excited, but I, I wasn't anticipating that it would become this much of a thing. And it has become way more of something than I ever thought it would be. And we're still so new. So. It's genuinely crazy just to look back six months. I did not think we would be where we're at. And I cannot wait, like we've said, for 2021, which will be our first full year. We genuinely have so much planned. It's going to be a blast. And I cannot wait. And we are, of course, continuing to work to improve this show as we continue to go through 2021. And if you want to make sure you never miss any of that content coming up in 2021, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. And also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow this show. We really do appreciate that. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We will be back on Tuesday for the start of 2021 and also the start of our newest series, Daniel Craig's James Bond. Yes. Oh, man. I'm so excited, dude. I'm so excited. I, as we talked about with our Star Wars series and our MCU one coming later in 2021, I love these little kind of just series we can review. It's just so much fun. And Daniel Craig Bond is going to be a fun little lead up to No Time to Die, which again, maybe it'll come out. Who the hell knows? But either way, we'll have a fun time doing that. If it does come out on streaming, we'll definitely have some directors angry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, we have the sound. Speaking of streaming, we're also going to be reviewing The Sound of Metal in a few weeks, the Amazon Prime original movie starring Riz Ahmed. And like we've mentioned leading up, our next big series in review, a la The Boys Season 2 and The Mandalorian Season 2, is we will be reviewing each and every episode of WandaVision 
as it comes out. So it's going to be fun. We have lots of MCU, Star Wars, and Disney Plus content. So it's going to be a big year for all the shows, movies, and everything in between that we're going to talk about. Go check us out on Instagram at the Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode, all of our other episodes of 2020, and future episodes coming up in 2021. James Bond's coming up, like they said. We got WandaVision. I'm excited to review that. And Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Happy New Year, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Can we go back and vote for Klaus? I think I want to vote for Klaus, actually. (laughs) 